Shall we turn once again to that portion of Scripture that we read together? John chapter 19. And we will read once again at verse 29. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit particularly these words in verse 30. He said, it is finished. We come tonight to look at the sixth saying on the cross. And in doing so, we look at these words, it is finished. And what I want to do is ask the question, as the Lord will enable, what was finished? And as we look at this question, what was finished, we see that there are many different answers to that question, but we'll look at three of the answers under three headings. The first thing that was finished was the fulfillment of Christ's prophecies from the Old Testament. It is finished. The second thing that we shall see that was finished was the sufferings of Christ was finished. It is finished. And then thirdly, we shall see uh, that the work of redemption was finished. It is finished. Now I confess tonight that when... I was asked to do this service. This wasn't originally the one I was going to look at. The last three times that I have had the privilege of preaching here, we have looked at the first three sayings on the cross. But I felt that with all that has happened over the last 10 days, that this was perhaps a more suitable text to have tonight. It is finished. We have looked on the previous three times on the tragedy of the cross. And with the first, second and third sayings on the cross in particular, we have seen how especially with the first saying on the cross, as Christ pleads, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our Saviour is very much there as we portray him in our mind as a victim. A victim of a crime that he hasn't committed. A victim of an unjust judicial system that has put him to death. But here, in this sixth saying on the cross, and in the seventh saying on the cross, we see Christ not just as a victim, but we see Christ speaking to us, as a victor, as death approaches. And what we have here, and when we read these words, it is finished. They must not be understood to be defeatist words. 
They are not in some way the words of to be compared to a martyr who is just about to be put to death. No, my friends, these are words of a shout of spiritual victory as the work of Christ nears its completion. It is finished. It's a declaration from our Saviour to say that all that he had been given to do from the Father is just about complete. As a substitute for his own people. And we ask the question in here tonight, are we amongst his people? Are we amongst his believing people? Are we amongst his people? Have we placed our trust in this Christ who cried at Calvary, it is finished? In the original language, in the Greek language, the words, it is finished, and the words accomplished are exactly the same words. In the Greek language, the word is tetelestai, tetelestai. And in that language, what it means is it stands finished. It will always remain finished. And so it is with Christ. Christ's sacrifice on that day was complete, not just for the penitent thief on the cross, But that access is still available for you and I if we have not placed our trust in Jesus Christ as yet. Have we placed our trust in the one who cried, it is finished. The emphasis here is not so much on his suffering. The emphasis is on the mission of redemption being completed. In this chapter that we have read, we read in verse 30, sorry, we read again in verse 29, and a jar full of sour wine stood, and they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, He said, it is finished. Here it is written in scripture that Christ drank from the sour wine. But it's very interesting for us to note that in Matthew's account, at an earlier stage in the crucifixion, and in chapter 27, and at verse 34, we read these words. They offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And I don't know if you've ever asked the question, why in this instant Christ refused to drink? But in John's account, as he nears death, he does. We sang of these words together in our first first singing. Uh, With regard to verse 21 they gave me also bitter wine bitter gall in order for our saviour to drink it but he didn't 
And there's a very interesting reason why. The bitter gall, it says in Matthew's account, was mingled. The, the wine was mingled with gall. And gall was what we would class as a part of an animal. It was part of the liver of an animal. It was the liquid that was within the liver of the animal. And this were the soldiers. They used to put part of this into the wine. And the idea you see was to in some way seek to lessen the pain just a little bit so that the person who was being crucified would last days on the cross instead of hours. But you see our saviour on the cross, he tastes and he gets a taste of what we would call something that could be a form of a little bit of medicine and Christ refuses it. This gall that we speak about is still used today in Chinese medicine with regard to epilepsy and with regard to people with heart conditions. And that tells you how much Christ loved his own people. That tells us that he was not willing to have any form of help whatsoever as he hung on the cross of Christ, on the cross of Calvary. He was to endure hell in its full nature, in body and in mind, and he would receive and accept no help. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And the sceptics, of course, will say, well, why would Christ drink wine? Why would he take it as it is recorded here in John's account? Well, the psalmist tells us that his lips were parched. The psalmist tells us that his tongue cleaved to the roof of his mouth. And don't you see how wonderful a thing it is that as he receives this drop of wine, it loosens his tongue from the top of his mouth. It moistens his lips and he declares with a triumphant cry, it is finished. That is why. So let's look then, friends, for a short while and ask the question, what was finished on that day? It is finished. What was finished? The fulfillment of Christ's prophecies in the Old Testament were finished that day. And there are multitudes of them. One by one, they are all coming to being fulfilled. From his prophecy of his coming to the time when he came. One after another. The prophecy of our Saviour coming into this world and being born of a woman. We have that in the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord speaks to the serpent and he reminds us that he will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. 
and he shall bruise his head and you shall bruise his heel. And then you find in the book of Galatians these wonderful words, as if to rubber stamp this first prophecy of our Lord coming into the world. We read in Galatians chapter 4 and in verse 4, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth the Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. There you have the first fulfillment of scripture. There are numerous ones. You have the prophecy in Isaiah that Christ is going to be born of a virgin. We have that in Isaiah and in chapter 7 and in verse 14. As Donnie spoke about this morning over 700 years before our Lord was born in this world. Therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And we shall call his name Emmanuel. And there you have that coming to light in the opening chapter in Matthew's account with the genealogy in chapter 18 of chapter 1. You have the prophecy of Jesus Christ will be born from the seed of Abraham. That is being fulfilled. You have the prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to be a descendant from David. That also is fulfilled. One by one, they are all being fulfilled. We even have the prophecy being fulfilled that Jesus Christ will be born in Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5 and in verse 2, we read, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Even his birth is a fulfillment from the Old Testament. Not just his birth. But the very fact that Christ was going to bring, Christ's birth was going to bring sorrow into the hearts of other people. That is a fulfillment from the prophecy of Jeremiah, who in Jeremiah 31 says, in verse 15, Thus saith the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And that, of course, was fulfilled in Matthew's chapter 2. I remember doing a service on that just before Christmas in here. And it was with regard to King Herod seeking to destroy the life of Jesus Christ as a babe. And just to be sure, he kills every single child, every single male child under two years of age. When Christ would have been but a few weeks or a few months old. Even the fulfillment of that sorrow was being fulfilled in the, in the New Testament. You have the prophecy, of course, in Isaiah that Christ would be despised and rejected of men. Here it is in every single one of the Gospels being fulfilled. And you have the prophecy 
even in Psalm 22, that Christ would thirst. That is something that is being fulfilled and something that we have read of even in this chapter itself. Psalm 22 and reading in verse 15. My strength is like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. That also is being fulfilled. And not just that, my friends. We could go on and on and on. Even in this chapter that we have read, have you noticed even in verse 24, how these words, this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Even the gambling for Christ's clothing is a fulfillment in scripture. And here we see of our Saviour, that finally he is just about to read of another and to mention another prophecy, which is just about to happen. And that is the prophecy which we read of in the book of of Psalms, where we read in Psalm 31, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. The last saying on the cross. And yet people still don't believe. And yet people still don't place their trust in Christ. All these examples of fulfillment of scripture. Just from his first coming into this world alone. Never mind all the all the scripture that tells us that Christ is going to come a second time when the world will be no more. That itself will be a sermon in and of itself. And I wonder how often we think of that, his second coming, as we rejoice in his first coming. You know, I remember sitting in church in November 91, and man alive, I was bored stiff. I was listening to the late Reverend Alistair Smith He was a free church minister in Scalpy. And I was desperate for this man to finish preaching the word. He had started at 12 o'clock and it was now 20 to 2. And I was itching to get home. And I remember him saying, and I'll conclude with these words. And to my shame, in my heart, I... I said, and I clenched my fist like that, and I said, yeah, beauty, about time too. And he said the 11 words that changed my life. If the Lord Jesus Christ came tonight, would you be ready? Well, would we? What if Christ comes tonight before 8 o'clock, before our nation's one-minute silence? What if, as, as, a, as, a, as a nation, we prepare for the Queen's funeral tomorrow and Christ comes? If the Lord Jesus Christ came tonight, would you be ready? We think of these 70 years, don't we? Of the leadership and the guidance of our beloved Queen. And of course, there is no prophecy of her. 
there is nothing to say that she will rule and guide us for 70 years. But my friends, surely we can say of her this night that she was one who reigned as one of the Lord's anointed. And as we think of her tonight, we think of Psalm 2. And we think of these words that we find in the second Psalms. And in verse 10, Therefore, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish in the way. For his wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed are all those who take their refuge in him. Well, we can certainly say of the late Queen Elizabeth that she was a wise queen. We can certainly say of her that she served with fear, that she rejoiced with trembling, that she kissed the sun, and that she was most blessed and is most blessed because she took her refuge in him. What about us tonight? Blessed are we if we take a refuge in Christ. But my friends, are you in here tonight and you still have not committed your life to Jesus Christ? Life is so uncertain and we know not what a hour even will hold in our lives. Let's look then at our second heading. It is finished. What was finished? Christ's suffering was finished. Here he is as death approaches. And for myself personally, I might be wrong in this, but I think that there were just moments or minutes from his sixth saying until the final saying on the cross. Here is our Saviour, and he has suffered mental suffering beyond our imagination. Here is our Saviour, and he has endured spiritual suffering, physical suffering, like we cannot comprehend. He has suffered under the hands of men. He has suffered in these three hours of darkness under the hands of Satan. And not only that, he has suffered under the hands of God in these three hours of darkness as the Lord God hid his face from him. And he's enduring that for you and he's enduring that for me in order that we would place our trust in him who will cry, it is finished. Pain was inflicted upon him by his enemies, but my friends, pain was inflicted upon him by his friends too, as all his disciples forsake him and fled. No wonder he is a man of sorrows. And yet, as death nears, 
And in a short space of time, he will soon die. And then the resurrection and then the ascension into glory where our Saviour will never, ever experience pain again. Where our Saviour will never, ever experience the power of darkness and the power of hell itself and the power of of Satan tormenting him. And where the Lord will never hide his face from him again. That's what God is offering you and I tonight. And if we are in Christ, that will be our experience. That was the experience of our Queen ten days ago. And although we don't know ten days in heaven and can't comprehend it, that is her experience since she left this world until now as we know it here. And it is an anticipation of these things that he cries, it is finished. And I know I've asked you this question before in the past as we've looked at this sayings on the cross. How do you picture Christ? If I've told you this story before, then forgive me, but I'll say it again. This year was the first time ever, really, that the lambing season kind of fell upon me to help out my father because he had had a fall and broken three ribs. And it was bad timing for lambing season when you're not particularly interested in sheep. But I remember on a Sunday morning getting up to go to preach. And I was up early, early in the morning. And I remember, I think it was either my second or third cup of coffee. It was half past five in the morning. And I watched my next door neighbor going down the croft. And I watched him coming up the croft. And as he was coming up the croft, he was holding a dead lamb in his hand holding it by two legs. What I noticed about this lamb is that this beautiful newborn lamb, there wasn't one bit of white on it. This lamb was red, red from its own blood from top to bottom. It had been mutilated by the fowls of the air. When you think of Jesus Christ, don't think of him as a man with a trickle of blood down his hands and his feet and the crown of nails on his his head. I knew that morning that that was a lamb, but it didn't look like a lamb. And Jesus Christ on that day in Calvary did not look like a human being. Every part of his body was lacerated and open and torn apart from these whips that ripped his flesh apart long before he went on the cross. How can we refuse a saviour like that who offers us salvation and says, it is finished? His physical pain is finished. 
it has come to an end. And the suffering of souls now come to an end from our Saviour. And although he has not yet died, of that we know. He is moments from death, minutes from death. He says these words in anticipation of his death. It is finished. His mission is complete. He has done what the Father has asked him. There is nothing else that he can do. An anticipation of his death. He cries out these words. It is finished. 33 years in the form of a servant. It is finished. And the plan of God has now been fully carried out. The plan of God is complete. It is finished. And my friends, when you think about Jesus Christ on the cross at this moment in time, don't just think when he cries on the cross, it is finished, of the cross being an instrument of punishment. But we are also to think about it as a throne of his conquering love for his own people, for you and for me and for all who will place their trust in him. It is finished. What was finished? As we go into our last heading, the work of redemption was complete. All that the Father has given to him, he has completed. There is nothing else that he can do. All his sufferings have come to an end. And his time in this world is nearing completion. And even in that itself, We can't help but think on a night like this. You know, you and I will probably never know much, if anything, in the way of the final hours or the final days of what our Queen suffered or what she went through. These things will be forever hidden from us. But of Christ, these things are revealed. We might never fully understand all the work that the Queen did in these 70 years. My friends, we simply fail to understand so often what Christ, what his work entailed for his own people. But blessed are we if our trust is in the Lord. How wonderful a thing it is that a thief on the cross And the likes of you and me and the likes of the Queen can spend eternity together in glory. What a saviour we have. Does that not show us, my friends, the extent of his love? Does that not show us that anybody can come to Christ if they simply ask for the Lord to come into their hearts? Does that not show us that there is no restrictions? 
if we place our trust in him. Every attempt that the religious leaders had done from the moment Christ died, from the moment, sorry, Christ came into this world until the moment that he died, every plot, every plan, every opportunity that they had to kill him had failed. From the moment that he couldn't even walk or talk, every plan had failed. Until the Lord himself would give up his own life for his own people on his terms. And although the three hours of darkness are not recorded in John's account, do you ever stop? Have you ever thought and wondered how it is that when that onslaught from the pit of hell itself ravaged Christ for these three hours of darkness, that he didn't die in these three hours. How wonderful it is written that Christ gave up his life, that Christ gave up his spirit in broad daylight so that there would be no confusion, so that there would be no doubt, so that there would be multitudes of witnesses there who knew the exact moment that he gave up his ghost. How thankful, my friends, it is that we can come to worship God tonight in a way like this. We don't need to come in here with blood sacrifices. We don't need to have the ceremonial laws of old. It is finished. Christ has done away with all that. In Isaiah 53 and in verse 6, We read these words. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is Christ as our substitute and here are our sins being transferred upon him. And for some of us we will leave this world never ever forgiving ourselves for things we have done in the past. But Christ's blood cleanses us of even these sins, so much so that Jude tells us that we will be presented faultless before, before the Lord on the day of judgment. There is no substitute for God's substitute. As I always say, there is no plan B. There is no other way but the way of the Lord. His work is now complete. The work of the redemption is finished. He has done it all. He has paid it all. He has performed it all. And there is nothing left for Christ to do. He has satisfied the divine justice of Almighty God in being our substitute at Calvary. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And you know, in, in human terms, 
at that on that day on that cross, it must have appeared to the devil as a great triumph when Christ died. Little did he understand what exactly was taking place. That as Christ died ultimately, this was the hour of his ultimate defeat. The power of darkness is broken upon the Lord's own people. They are now safe and secure in him. And my friends, if you're a Christian in here tonight, it's not wrong to think of the devil as a defeated enemy. Although he will torment us for the rest of our lives, he is a defeated enemy. Because Christ on the cross has defeated him. Once we were his captives, but now in Christ we are free. What a saviour. And hell will never ever harm anybody who places their trust in Christ. What a precious thought to us that is. Even on our worst days, even on the days when the devil will say, you've never really been saved. Even on the days when the devil will say, if you were a real Christian, you'd never have watched that or done that or thought that or acted like that. We still won't go to hell because we've been cleansed of our sins. The moment, my friends, that you and I believe in God's testimony concerning his beloved son, the moment we believe that, that is the moment where our every sin is blotted out. And we stand accepted in Christ. We could be in no better position tonight if we are in Christ. Imagine daring to say that we believer doesn't need to fear sin or Satan. That the believer doesn't need to fear on the day of judgment. That in some way the Lord will change his mind and say, you know what? I've changed my mind about you and you're actually going to go to hell because of these sins that you committed even as a Christian. No, no. Christ our Saviour has done it all, paid it all, accomplished it all, performed it all. Everything that he needed to do for your salvation he has done. And there are many of us in here that can just put our arm into that because our trust is in him. And if our trust is in him tonight, we are amongst the most blessed of all. But my friends, what if you're in here or listening on Zoom or online or whatever and you still haven't placed your trust in him? Will you not tonight place your trust in the Christ who cried? It is finished. In conclusion, I want to read two things. One is perhaps strange, and I hope it won't offend anybody. And I'll tell you why I'm reading it after I've read it. This is the statement 
that the new Prince of Wales issued last week with regard to the Queen's death. And I'll read it out and I'll tell you why I read it out. On Thursday, the world lost an extraordinary leader whose commitment to the country, the realms and the Commonwealth was absolute. So much will be said in the days ahead about her meaning of her historic reign. I, however, have lost a grandmother, and while I grieve her loss, I will feel incredibly grateful that I have had the benefit of the Queen's wisdom and reassurance into my fifth decade. My wife Kate has had 20 years of her guidance and support. My three children have got to spend holidays with her and create memories that will last their whole lives. She was by my side at the happiest moments. She was by my side at the saddest days of my life. I knew this day would come, but it will be some time before the reality of life without Granny will truly feel real. My grandmother famously said that grief was the price we pay for love, and all the sadness that we will feel in the coming weeks will be a testament of her love we felt for her extraordinary queen. I will honour her memory by supporting my father, the king, every way I can. I was struck by these words. My grandmother famously said that grief was the price we pay for love. And so it is when we lose our loved ones. And so it was for Christ as he died in our room and in our place. Grief was the price he paid for love. The statement concludes by saying, I will honour her memory by supporting my father, the king, in every way I can. Well, can you and I do that as Christians tonight? Can we honour our saviour's memory? Can we honour the father, the king, in every way that we can because of what he has done? And provided for us. Finally, I read this poem last week. I wish I could tell you who wrote it. I'll spell out the name E D I H. I don't even know if that's a man or a woman. Will Edai Selinda Berman. I don't know, those of you who are work computers might find it. The poem is entitled Finished, and we'll close with this. The sculptor laid his tools aside, and finished though he was, he died. The artist with his brush undone laid down his brush at set of sun. The writer with his tale half told no longer to his life could hold. The farmer put away his plough, still unturned, he's resting now. God's son alone triumphant died, for it is finished, Jesus cried. The price is paid, the battle's won, the great work of salvation's done. Because he finished all for me, complete in him, I know I'll be. And that is 
my hope and prayer for each and every single one of us in here tonight, that complete in him we will know we will be. Because it is finished, Jesus Christ cried, the price is paid, the battle's won, the great work of salvation's done, because he finished all for me, complete in him, I know I'll be. May that be true of each and every single one of us, that we will be complete in the one who cried, it is finished.